Merson has scored it. the legend Paul Merson, John O'Shea and Wes Brown are coming to Dublin. It's an exclusive off-air event. So if you want to be there, get on to offtheball.com forward slash events. Just Eat, the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. OTB's The Hurling Pod. With Board Gosh Energy. Proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship. Welcome along. It is the Hurling Pod live again for the second week in a row. Clare avenging their defeat against Limerick in last year's Munster final by inflicting a first championship defeat on John Kiley's side in 17 matches, a run that stretched back to the 2019 All-Ireland semi-final. Cork have come out of the traps flying a nine-point success against Waterford this afternoon. That defeat leaves the Dacia now 100 minutes without a championship goal and with a real uphill task to try and qualify. It was all square between Kilkenny and Galway and Henry Shefflin's return to Nolan Park. Wexford had four points to spare against Antrim on Saturday evening while Donald Burke scored 1-9 in Dublin's defeat of Westmead with me got Father Ted sceptic James Skell and here just for the Mikey Butler hype we've got Paul Murphy how are you going on lads right lads how's it going um, looking forward to this uh, second live edition again people can get their comments in on the Facebook or the YouTube for the lads we've got plenty of questions that were uh, sent to us over the course of the last couple of days as well um, but Murph if I can start with you Limerick or Mortal They've been beaten for the first time since York Kenny side beat them in 2019. And Clare can now say that over 70 minutes in the last two years of championship, they haven't been by Limerick. It's a huge win for Clare. Yeah, absolutely enormous. And, you know, we first to hold my hands up last week um, and say half the country, any neutral would have said, didn't look good for Clare coming off the back of the Tipperary loss. Um, leaking goals like that, you just would have presumed that Limerick would have come at them with something to, to expose that. But look, really, it just came down to the attitude, the work rate of Clare, um, look, they just brought something nobody was expecting, not least Limerick. Uh, and it was just such a pulsating match. I mean, it was so exciting watching it at home. It was one of those rare matches that when you're at home, it nearly felt like you're at the game. And there were so many things you could pull apart from it that were really like just excellent stuff. A lot of it was nitty gritty, just hard work, hooking and blocking. Like you, you, your mind goes back to, to Peter Duggan there, not giving up the ghost when going for goal and stuff. And just so many great things. And it, it's brilliant now because that victory, not only for Clare supporters, uh, you know, it's such a huge victory, but it blows the whole thing open now in Munster. And it's just, it's so exciting now because every other team will smell a small bit of blood going for Limerick. And if one or two teams believed, well, maybe now five or six teams believe they can go and beat this Limerick team, something that we thought maybe wasn't possible a few weeks ago. Skell, when it comes to this, do we put it down as clear or a difficult matchup for Limerick, which has been shown over the last couple of years? Or do we put this down to Limerick being a little bit off it in the first two games in championship? And I think there's a few things to be honest. I think Clare turned up for a for for a major fight, and they produced one. I think they're you know they're I'd say the Clare, Clare as a county as a whole, the, the, the group first of all, Brian Lohan, the management, the supporters, everyone. I think was just I think the word they probably use is just good to the, with, with the first half performance they produced against Chip like uh, last week. That's not what we've grown accustomed to with Clare over the last couple of years, and I think they just kind of. Uh, try to put the record straight and show up for the fight number one and look if, if you show up for the fight you know you, you'll be in the fight and all, that's all you can do and they did and they grew into the game they they tackled with ferocious aggression like, like almost nearly rugby style and sometimes they were so physical and I just Limerick weren't ready first Limerick were, were I won't say they were off they were they were meant to be off you know like it's not as if they, they showed up and just played five out of ten like they were they were forced by Clare to play at that level and a couple of few things that happened in with regard to you know Sean Finn and Keane Lynch and Hegarty not starting, not being himself, which we might touch on in a few minutes. And, you know, a few uncharacteristic errors from Aaron Galana from the free-taking sort uh, position. 
And then you introduce someone like Shannon Her who pulls off two savage points, etc. Just mm. things got rolling for clear. And the thing is, I'm a big believer, like you, you make your own look. You know, there's no such thing as your know, lady look coming down top of you. You make your own look. And I don't know, I think it was a famous golfer said that the harder I work, the luckier I get. And that was the way clear were yesterday. They produced it for 75, 80 minutes of raw intensity. Passion is the word I'd use. Um, I, aggression. There was just so many words I could use to describe players' performance. And it's all them. It's all them. Like Limerick, Limerick will be, of course, disappointed with the way they showed up. Absolutely. Just disappointed with the loss. But ultimately, they're not out of the championship. They have another couple of rounds score Munster. And if anyone writes them off, you're a fool. Well, I think it was Shooter McGavin who uh, came out with that line in Happy Gilmore uh, if you're looking for the famous <laughs> golfer. But, um... uh, listen to me. Hold on a second. Hold on. Right. Yeah, uh, uh, don't go that far now, right? Just because, I'm not, just because I'm not catching up with your Father Ted vibes, you two fools. Okay. It was a famous golfer. Okay. Happy Gilmore. Famous philosopher once said, what's this guy? Well, look, I want to add someone to your hybrid horror list. Remember we had this about three or four weeks ago. Where do we yeah. rank John Conlon on the hybrid hurling list? And uh, what's John Conlon's brother doing uh, having a wedding in the middle of championship when you know that it's going to be round one of championship and it's been set since last October? How do you set your wedding in the middle of this? But anyway, John Conlon is a hybrid hurler, um, Skell. Centre half back. He ruled the yeah. air. He was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he was fantastic. And he's that kind of classes. I love the way he plays, you know, chest out, elbows out, like come down my channel if you want to. You know, like he's 30, I think he's, he, I think he's not far away from my age, 34, 35. So like he's still in supreme shape, moves fierce well. It's like the pace of the game nowadays isn't an issue for him. Like obviously you think going up in the years and get 35 in that age that you might be actually you know, theoretically slowing down the pace of the game might, might pass you out. There's no things that whatsoever. Do you know, brilliant, brilliant the high ball, brilliant distributor, would mark anyone and was full value for his man the match, to be honest. I, I thought it was a very hard call who to, who to give man the match, but ultimately when you look back, and watch the match again. Like Collins' performance was excellent. Like Limerick came down the middle with very little, very little to be honest. And uh, yeah, the wedding. Like I, I blame the wife. <laughs> That's the only reason. Okay, That's what I'm saying right now. It has to be the wife because they couldn't. You couldn't let the brother have the wedding when you're playing Limerick. Like that's just that's insanity. Sorry. <laughs> Well, I was joking about it last night, Murph. I mean, I can only imagine the reception he had when he comes back in. He's like been man the match, the uh, Lord Defender of the game. And then he walks back into the wedding reception where I assume they were all probably watching that game in the pub at the reception anyway. So I can imagine the hero's reception he must have got last night. Yeah, well, I actually saw a clip from someone at the wedding. They, they had a what looked like a 60-inch television inside in the reception room. So there was no one had to go to the pub. But uh, there's a actually good clip on Twitter. I don't know where I saw it now, but... Uh, it's he gets announced as man of the match and everybody's watching the television and suddenly he arrives onto the television and the whole place are up. So it's actually, there's a good clip there. I'd say, like, it must have been sensational. I know we're talking about the Clare Limerick match, but the atmosphere at the wedding must have been unbelievable. Seeing John Conlon walk out the door at four o'clock and then I'm sure everybody in that room was invested. Obviously, Clonlara people in one side yeah. of it anyway um, and wanting to keep an eye on it. And to, to their credit, rolling the television into the room then to watch it and of all the 30 players, let's say, that start and the few people that come on, John Conlon wins man of the match. It's kind of one of those, you'd only, you'd only really get it in the GAA sort of a moment, but uh, yeah. incredible moment. Like, I mean, that's something they'll remember for the rest of their days. They'll be talking about that when they're old. Yeah. I'll tell you more, right? In 2018, right? Because do you know what Shannon heard the second point he got yesterday? He came from, I suppose, the sideline over from like from his left to right mm-hmm. and caught the ball. So Grace and I were watching the uh, the match yesterday and like he did that catch and then he put it over the bear and I just started laughing and Grace just goes, that fucker again, right? Nice thing, you know, <laughs> right? So my best friend was getting married in 2018 and we were playing Claire in the 
semi-final. Uh, yeah. And if you remember, we went to extra time with them. Yeah. So I was I was to be as part of the bridal party. Obviously, Dublin and Galway, too far apart, so I missed the wedding. Uh, just the, the church and whatnot. And I couldn't wait to get back to the reception and just, you know, have a great night, to be honest. I won't lie, right? Which is the PC version of putting it. But fucking didn't in that game, if extra time, if Shiner didn't come from left to right, came from nowhere, caught the ball next time, and fucking roof to pass me. Draw. <laughs> I was so sick going down the road, walking into the reception, <laughs> real subdued. You know, I said hello to everyone. Off to bed for the for the game next week. <laughs> so John Connolly had a way different approach than I had. <laughs> well, he might be in your bad book, Skell, but Shanner, what a player to be able to bring in. And like uh, Shane O'Donnell found an extra life, I think, in the last five minutes or so as well. The boys ran off four points when that game was very much in the melting pot uh, down the stretch. And to have Shanner there with his fresh legs as a target man to give the ball up to is a relief ball as well. Um, what a player to be able to bring in for Brian Long. But isn't he, isn't he the type of person that you could like? He's like Helen from Man City when he saw him against Arsenal during the week. Just fire down to him. Just, just mm-hmm. get down to him. And he mightn't catch your primary, but he'll do, he'll do something with it. He'll hold it up and he won't let it out pass. So, like, you see, okay, he came on, got a great pass off Tony Kelly for his first point, but then caught a ball on the 14, created a goal chance, caught, caught the ball in for the puck out, which was for probably, you could call it the insurance score, if you want to call it that. And uh, just cr- creates a small bit of, I suppose, havoc. You know, havoc, because he's a big unit, he's a, he's a fair athlete. Um, he's a good specimen when you see him in front of now, up to Ostia. And for a man his size, he's able to get off the ground fair high. And like, like that, when you utilise a person like that to your strength, when you bring him on and see him coming on and say, right, now we have another, we have an out ball, we have another option, as opposed to going with a pace game, fire it down to him, he do something with it. Sure, it's, it's great to have. Yeah, um, Murph, I wanted to uh, bring up one of the stats <clears throat> I saw earlier today. So it was Sean Flynn, who does analysis pieces on the 42 and generally kind of looks at different angles and maybe things we wouldn't have thought of during the game. Like it was very clear to the naked eye. The Clare did a very good job on making it very awkward for Limerick coming out with the ball. I think when Sean Finn has gone off in the second half, I think it became doubly difficult to get the ball out uh, from their own puck out. But the stat he has up is a Clare scored seven points from Limerick restarts yesterday evening. Uh, to put this into context, in the five games in 2020, mm-hmm. Limerick conceded six points across the five games. In 2021, they only conceded six points across four matches. And then with the return of the round robin last year with extra games, they played seven matches, they conceded 20 points. So they're conceding generally three points or less for the last four years off their own restarts per game, which is very impressive. But yeah, Clare were able to push up on them and get seven points directly from Limerick restarts. Yeah, yeah, it was really remarkable stuff. And it's a great stat from Sean Finn because oftentimes you can look at individual moments in games and, and try and pick it apart, but it's not until you zoom out and have a look and see really where the winning and losing of was. And there's very fine margins in this game. But that's that's a huge turnover for Clare, considering the track record of Limerick off their own puckouts. And, you know, we, we, we'd often be here each week talking about how Limerick can vary it and how they don't mind if they have to start short or if they go long, they can do it either way. But it's just really remarkable and full credit to Clare that they identified, first of all, I suppose, what they wanted to do with Limerick, as in it's one thing to write it down on paper and, and tell the players this is what we're going to do, but to go out and implement that on the pitch. It's not a case of one or two players being really good on the night or exceptional at it. It's the whole unit of the team. It's not it's it's not necessarily even the half forwards or the midfields. It's everybody working uh, in sync together to actually shut it down because if one or two players don't do their job, like we might see two players going competing for it and getting shut down and Claire turn over the ball. But the only way that actually happens is by the rest of the team pushing up so tightly on their players that Nicky Quaid looks up the pitch and he sees nobody. So he has to give a ball that's kind of a gamble. But for them not only to turn over that ball 
But to turn back around and get seven points, it's remarkable. It really is remarkable. And I guarantee a lot of teams now, <clears throat> whether they're playing Limerick over the next while or not, will look at what Clare have done because it's obviously quite an effective um, strategy that they, that they put out. They look at Clare and say, okay, maybe this is something we can implement. Are we doing this? Are we, you know, did, did we do this against Limerick when we played them? Did we implement it well enough? What's the difference? What did Clare do that's different? So I think a lot of teams will actually pick through it. But to go back to the stat that Sean Flynn had, it really is remarkable. And there is, if you're to pick a few major points from the game, you know, absolutely, attitude, commitment, all these, but they put points on the board. There's seven scores for Clare. It's an enormous platform. And to convert it off a Limerick puck out, it really is. It's full credit to Clare that, that they were able to establish that in the game. Yeah, like to me, Scal, one of those moments that's almost symbolic of everything is actually the Duggan goal because Clare right in the game coming up to half time, like Limerick have scored seven of their scores come from dead balls. Uh, you're thinking Clare are playing really well from open play during the game. What's about punishing the opportunities when they come? Like Duggan has to wrestle three or four players to get his own ball there initially and then he fights to get the shot away. Um, okay, you could put it down to maybe that was a little bit sloppy defensively from Limerick, but he made his own look there, didn't he? A scale puts himself on mute. Scale mutes himself. It's actually Sorry, it's actually my favourite form of scale. Actually, you know Sorry, do you know what? There was birds outside, <laughs> and I could hear this microphone, and I was saying I better mute it because sheep. I'm doing the No, about Duggan, you're, you're right. Um, the best thing from from Peter that's, in that instance was was two things: intent to get the ball, not giving up, fight, fighting for it. And then as soon as he got the ball, the easy thing there for him was probably to turn out and find an out ball, and someone tapped the ball mm-hmm. all over the bar. But to go for the juggler, and I'll be okay. You can say the shot was was probably you know I think Nicky be disappointed with the shot to be honest. I think he was trying to actually touch it and then clear it as opposed to to save it. Um, but like again, intent on both sides, and just it, it was kind of as you said yourself. Will the word was symbolic? It was symbolic of I think Clare's overall intent was just to go for the juggler, just to throw the shackles off. And it was interesting to hear John Connell's interview where he said uh, after the game for the for the man of the match, obviously, where he said that they had met. I think maybe the night before or something like that, and he said that they. They know they're as good as them. They know they can put it up to them and it's just about going and proving it. And that that's kind of a symbolic effort to just say when, when Duggan gets the ball, just just go for it. Like don't don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of these big names Limerick have. Go after them and and uh, you, you you will reap the rewards. And like that's full credit to him because he didn't have a huge game by his own standards. Like he missed one or two himself. But again, in that in that instance, like where he had a relatively quiet first half, you like to have the confidence to go after it and, and the courage to go after it, you know, is uh, kudos to him. Yeah, I'm going to hold my hands up, Murph. I thought the Flanagan goal, he was inside the square because that's how it looked on the first view. One of mm. credit to Colin Lyons and to his umpires. They took their time about this. Like Dave Fitzgerald gets booked for his protest. Claire were understandably very annoyed because it looked like uh, before the ball was whipped across the square, the Flanagan was definitely inside. Uh, they slowed it down, showed it from a few different angles on GEA go at halftime. Mm. It's a marginal call. Like I think his foot's mm. on the line when the ball is coming across, but it's a lot closer and potentially he's outside than a lot of us thought at the time. It looked a really clear square ball. Um, in a ground where there's a lot of home fans at the Gaelic grounds as well, I think I have to give credit to the officials that they erred on the side of caution that actually he was outside at a time when they easily could have been swayed. They easily could have just uh, chalked it off and said it was a square ball. And it looks like it was actually a very good decision on reflection on what was an almost impossibly hard call to get right. Yeah, exactly. And again, we're here every week saying it. 
what I'd be saying like when I'm sitting here watching it I just say to myself whatever my initial thought was you're nearly better off pause in the game because that's what the referee has to work off they can't even the umpires as well it's, it's so hard as well when you have let's say even one of the umpires one of the umpires the ball was breaking right in front of him and he was keeping an eye to see is going to go out over the end line so he can't look over at Flanagan to see where Flanagan is and likewise the other umpire then has a choice do I look at where the ball is or where Flanagan is either way at his angle he can't look at when the ball enters and at the same time see is Flanagan inside in the box so it's, it is extremely tough and I thought I saw some of the reaction on, on Twitter as well and I thought a lot of people were saying the general consensus was that he was in the box and I was looking going I actually kind of think he's outside it. But I think when it comes down to it, if we don't have technology in the equation, you have to, it, it kind of goes back to the, is it clear and definite? Is it absolutely sure that he's in the box? Because if not, I'd be kind of leaning towards whatever gives the score. I'd be leaning towards that, unless it's plain as day in normal time that he was inside in the box or that he was interfering with the keeper, where there was none of that. So for me, I think he did a great job, but it, it's a flip of the coin in that if there was after the fact proof, let's say we looked at a replay and oh, actually Flanagan was in it, we could be very very easy sitting here tonight giving out about column lines when it was such a marginal call that it, it there's room there for him to have gotten it potentially wrong. But it, fair play to him, fair play to him that they did take because you could you know the, the the terrorist was up behind him, full of Limerick lads shouting down at him as well. But they took their time, and I personally think that you know the benefit of the doubt was given in the right direction. In that, I don't think it was a square ball. Yeah, um, Scale on the goalkeeping situation, because uh, it reminds me of Flanagan shot very early on, which is a really good save from Quilligan. Straight away, you're thinking uh, he is justified getting back into the team. Like, it's very difficult for Foudy. We talked about it last week. Mm-hmm. To come in for your first championship start, to make a couple of mistakes that lead to goals, especially when you're a goalkeeper, it can be very hard to get back in. Um, but Eva Quilligan definitely justified uh, getting back between the six. Yeah, and I think, like, I think, first of all, I think Brian Noah made the right decision putting Quilligan back in. Um, I think if they'd lost the game yesterday, yesterday it was kind of a do, it, do or die situation. They had to get some some kind of points, so you have to pick your strongest fifteen. And in this instance, Quilligan was one of them. I think for for Eva himself, like there was probably a small element of pressure on him. And what a like a perfect start! Flanagan gets the ball, he shapes himself across Quilligan's body, lovely height. So you know he's going to save it all day long. But it just gets him in the game. Then he gets a big catch. Then he gets three pokeouts in a row into midfield. You know, and they get a score, three shots off it, and for sure gets a score. Now you're rolling. Now you're in. You're in a good spot. There's no issue whatsoever. And uh, like he's a good game. Do you know what I mean? He, I, th- I thought he managed the game really well. Like for for Flanagan's goals, he'd probably be slightly disappointed with the second one. Um, but like like so be it. They won the game. And the biggest thing is the result. And after that thing, whatever happens, you get the result. So obviously, Clare had a bad result last week, highlighted by five goals. Great result this week. So now there's going to be no talk about it. Move on to the next one. So it's just because it's all positivity. But look, it was the right decision putting him in, and uh, he played well. And you know, he was he was. A contributor to the win. Simple as that. Yeah. Um, we'll bring in some of the uh, listener comments that have been coming in on the live, both on the Facebook and the YouTube in a moment. But here's a bit of Brian Lone talking about the importance of the victory, uh, particularly having come so close to defeating Limerick last year. I know Cork, Cork came back. I know Cork, Cork came back from it last year, or but you know two defeats would, would have been would have been a real hammer blow, especially with the work that the lads have done um, all year, and you know also on top of not being able to beat him last year um, you know it was just it was it was crucial uh, thanks Jamesy <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Raina I'm sorry if you were asked this already but I know, I know there's a lot of hurling to be played but does this feel like a bit of a watershed moment for the lads or uh, no I don't think so it's, it's just it's just a win you know it gets us um, uh, gets us in a better position keeps keeps the competition keeps us in the competition um, it's in our own hands um, so um, no it was just 
it's just so important for us to, to do it and it's so important for the supporters as well you know the Munster Championship is um, it's just such a massive competition for us like and historically like it's such a big competition for us as well so um, it's um, it's crucial that we're we're in, we're in the competition well there you go um, I also like that River Power is also a fan of Happy Gilmore uh, UE pieces but has actually deferred his comment without using the next line so we can keep it uh, nice and safe <laughs> uh, particularly on the YouTube um, plenty of comments coming in on uh, how Limerick played uh, including Danny O'Grady on our Facebook uh, Limerick scored 12 or 13 points in freeze versus 3 for Clare it's a long time since Limerick scored so little from play and they didn't have their normal 10 plus scores are teams figuring them out um, that is an interesting point Murph because a few other people have said in the YouTube is this a case now of and uh, maybe the Limerick game plan has been seen by some of the teams and we've seen how Clare have combated it. I don't know if have they been found out is too strong a phrase, um, but has this shown that there actually is a very good blueprint on how to play against them? Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, I think, you know, we've obviously talk, uh, spoke about Clare um, and how good they were. And without doubt, I mean, the, Clare won this on their own terms and it's full credit to them. But at, at the same time, you can look at Limerick and say it, it also wasn't the same Limerick we've been seeing over the last you know few years or how, however long you want to take it. Um, and that, that could be down to a few reasons. Obviously, the, the plan that Clare implemented on them. But also, you know, generally there was players that were just missing from the game, um, which I think is kind of very much unlike uh, Limerick and and certainly the players. Like, you know, Tom Morrissey was really the man that was that was trying to take charge to Clare at so many times. Um, and there was other players who went missing for different gaps. And, you know, it just seemed a small bit frantic from a Limerick point of view. Um, and it was one of the things I just wrote down is that Limerick just couldn't settle into the game. And again, you can give credit to Clare on that. But also, we've been waxing lyrical here about how good Limerick are in tight spaces, under pressure, all these things. They were doing things that were unlike Limerick. You know, they were making passes that were getting cut out, silly passes. They weren't 100% passes getting cut out. Clare were turning them over. You just don't see Limerick doing that. So, you know, I think a small bit is, is, is upstairs for Limerick, like, you know, maybe a small bit of this is in the head at the moment. Um, and it's maybe a little bit of confidence, a small bit like, you know, it's just hard to point, put your finger on a really firm at the moment because they could have come away with a win um, yesterday and make no doubt about that if they got a small bit more traction, if they didn't hit as many wides. So there's a bit to pick through for Limerick. Um, but look, again, that's not to take away from Clare. Look, Clare were excellent again, but there, there was times, you know, I was taking notes during the game and I said, this just isn't the Limerick we, we've seen over the last even few weeks, but particularly over the last few years. Um, Scale on a similar note, you can see Cormac Quaid's comment there. Uh, teams have obviously sized up Limerick this year. Will Limerick now try something different against Tip? That game is now three weeks away, so um, we'll see about the impact on their injuries as well. <clears throat> or will they stick with the process and hope to execute better? Um, I, I think I think Limerick deserve a bit more respect now than saying the teams have sized them up perfectly. Like, yes, they were defeated, don't get me wrong, but I think there's a couple of of the players are probably a bit void of confidence, a bit void of form. Hegger to be being the big one, guys. Like he, this time last year, he was absolutely mowing grass. And you know, you look at his league final where he was blocked down three or four times, gave the ball away. Then look at last week where he wasn't really in the game, sent off, didn't start this week. So it's all kind of a snowball effect. And I think for, if Limerick are going to go anywhere, they need their big players and the most influential players on the pitch and playing well. So they need to get him back. That has to be focused for John Kiley. Get Garrett Hegarty back. Get him into form. Um, get him back some way into, into a confident state because there's going to be a bit of a rejig with the team. Mike Casey obviously comes straight in for Sean Finn, but Kyle Hayes, does he stay wing back? Do you know, has he been influential over the last two games? My, my answer would be no. He hasn't been as influential as he, as he has been in his last number of years in championship. So do you see him go back up to the forward? Possibly. 
you know, does he does he go back in centre forward and create new dynamic for Liverpool or, or for Limerick? Because Keane Lynch is a hamstring injury. I don't know if it's the same hamstring as last year. So in terms of severity, it could be two weeks, it could be three weeks, it could mm. be ten. Like who knows? Who knows what's happened? So I wouldn't say that people, certainly teams are putting it into them. I was like like clear that the exact same thing as Waterford said to a degree whereby they just made the middle kind of from numbers five to twelve an absolute fucking war zone. Do you know what I mean? Clear hit absolutely everything that moved. And there was a question there a moment ago about the free count. Uh, Limerick got 15 scoreable frees and they scored 12 and uh, Clare scored four. So that was pure raw aggression all over the pitch because Burns got five, you know, and, and Galang got a few. So so that was just pure raw aggression that Clare hit everything that moved and Limerick just didn't respond to it. So I'd say Kylie and Knurk, I don't think they're going to go back and look at their blueprint and say, we need to change it because it's obviously gotten this far. And I think if they just, they're probably a bit of a tweaking, they'll be probably a bit of a, a bit like like he had Murphy in, in Northern Park. There'll be an assessment of yesterday's performance or even the last fortnight or last week or so. And um, I think they'll put it right. Because if you're asking me this second, who's the favourite of Ireland? I'm not taking my finger off, off Limerick, to be honest. They're, they're still there. Paul, to take up that point about Hayes, what have you made of his first two games? And would you be switching him around potentially now? Because he moved around a good bit during Championship last summer. He did, yeah. You know, he didn't have like the same effect as we've known for Kyle Hayes to have at wing back. And at the, similar enough, you know, the half forward line for Limerick yesterday weren't lighting the world on fire either. So there is potential there. And, you know, the, the one person that's kind of in my mind now at the moment, um, which I think could step into the fold here is Richie English. I think he could step in at cornerback. I think you'll see Mike Casey at fullback. And I think they'll actually push Dan Morrissey out to wing back. And you'll see Kyle Hayes up in the half forward line. That's just my kind of initial thought because, you know, Dan Morrissey has been really influential in terms of just getting on the ball. He's such a steady player, really consistent player. Mike Casey, you know, um, again, just an excellent full back. But the likes of Richie English, potentially now with Sean Finn gone, could provide mm-hmm. that type of Barry Nash type style of taking the, the you know, the, the, the attack to their opposition from that deep position. Uh, and that's where I see it going because I think they'll want Kyle Hayes maybe being more of a physical presence. Potentially, Kyle or Keen Lynch could be out now. Um, and, you know, like I said, Tom Morrissey was really the man for me that was taking the two players. So, yeah, I just think myself going forward now that maybe John Kiley will look at it and say, do you know what? Kyle Hayes maybe pushes up a small bit now and let's give the likes of... Could we saw Graham Mulcahy coming on as well um, yesterday. So, you know, I think he's going to say, well, look at lads... Like like James is saying there, they might have a fairly serious meeting during the week and say, listen, lads, you know, absolutely nothing is won here. Nobody's here in reputation by any means. And we're not pressing the panic button, but at the same time, you know, if you think your place is sure in this team, you know, you have another thing coming. Hmm. Robert Hartigan there in the live chat as well. Uh, Limerick look a little bit off. Not sure if it's mileage or being a little undercooked and timing their run. Uh, teams are absolutely peaking against them. Uh, can Clare sustain that? So that's the thing, Scal. Can Clare put in what, what's probably going to require something similar to that level another two or three times in championship to actually win the All-Ireland? Like It's great to beat uh, the All-Ireland champions in the Munster Series, but in all likelihood, they're going to have to put in a big semi-final performance, big final performance, and that's without having to navigate a couple of games to get to the Munster final first too. Yeah, like uh, the trouble is, I think if, if you're going to get, get out of Munster, first of all, you have to surpass Limerick or even, even match to get, to get to Munster final. And if you're going to win the Ireland, I think from coming from Munster, you have to get to Limerick three times, you know, I think, which is going to be very, very difficult for anybody. Um, Limerick, that, the, the question will about Limerick's legs, like I don't know, I asked Murph this uh, a few weeks ago, maybe it was even last year, I can't remember, about how difficult it was for Kikini back in the day 
you know, when they were winning kind of everything really and was it difficult to keep motivation? Because sometimes you can get really knocked back if you're losing. It's hard to get back up to a level. You often see teams in, teams in decline and it gets worse and worse. But when teams are winning and winning, and I was just, it was so evident after the big final, like Limerick didn't even, they barely raised the cup. You know what I mean? They didn't really mm-hmm. give a shit, to be honest. Like, it would, it would, other teams, if they won that, would be going static. Like, look at Mayo in the league, you know, for the football. So, like, maybe, I don't know, is it motivation? Is it complacency? Is it fatigue from just the whole four, five, six years? You know, it's, it's hard to say. But again, all that, like, here we are analysing and giving a post-mortem on Limerick, Limerick after yesterday. They were still a point or two off. Like, you know, we're not talking mm-hmm. about a team that got hammered. You know, Galan missed a couple of frees. Lannigan had a shot and goal. You know, Morrissey, as good an honour as he was, had three ferocious bad whites, so Cottle O'Neill, you know, so there's not as if there's, like, they're, 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 it's it's all back to square one with them. They just have to kind of tweak one or two things and, and adapt. That's all, because they haven't been in this position before. They've caked what everyone in the last three years. So it's just, I think it's new territory for Limerick. And I think what they'll do now is that they develop a new challenge and we'll see them come back to their best in three weeks' time, which will be a humdinger around Thurlis. Yeah, I wonder, Murph, as well, whether John Cowley might welcome this to a certain extent, because very clearly, whether that was for motivational purposes last week, he was coming out saying that people were trying to soften up his team by talking him up and whatever else. Now he's got the motivation to go back to them. He says he's going to give them two or three days off and he can say, look, we lost to Clare. We're now under pressure going into the last couple of games after the break. We need to make sure we get to the provincial final. And that's a whole new motivation for his team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, often like I, I reference 2012 when when Skettle and the lads, you know, turned us over in the Leinster final, and you know we turned it into a positive in 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 that we you know had a post mortem after it and really I suppose uh, really called out a lot of home truths about ourselves. Like we were very honest with ourselves, but realistically you have to ask your question. Look, we went on to win the All Ireland in the end, but like you have to ask yourself, and it's something I think about that. If that didn't happen to us in the Leinster final, would we have won the All Ireland? Would it not? Would we have been better? Let's say if we won that, for example, but we got bet in the semi final because the complacency was within the panel. So that's something that I would look at, and I I I'd, I'd agree with Scale. Like I don't take the I don't take Limerick away from favourites from this at all because I think now they're after getting an early warning. Like there's no, there's nothing lost, absolutely nothing. Cast your mind back to this time last year. I can't even remember the standings really at this stage. Like the only thing I can remember is that Cork were almost out of the championship at this stage. After that, you can't really remember. So much can happen between now and then. And I think to go back into training and mentally there is going to be a bit more of a freshness in that Limerick team in that there'll be aggression. They'll be disappointed. They'll be hurting. They're going to come back at it. John Kiley will be able to turn around and like that, say, that's okay, Tom Morrissey took it to him. How many of the rest of you took it to him? How many, how many of the rest of you were, were there when we really needed you? And that's not to be, like, this is not knocking Limerick at all. They were within one puck of a ball of winning that game. But I think John Kiley will look at it and say, with the calibre of players we have in this team, in our minds, we should never be within one puck of a ball coming down the home straight against a team. So I think there's loads of things that Limerick are going to pull through here. It's going to put it, it's 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 going to open right up to the panel as well, which I think is going to be make training really interesting for Limerick. And like I know we're we're obviously going a deep dive into this, but in broad brushstrokes, this is not this is not a bad thing for Limerick. They can actually turn mm-hmm. this into a positive and it could really, really kick on their ear from here. Yeah, Skell, you already touched on this, but Andreas Corcoran uh, making the point about uh, Hegarty's general demeanour and performance after coming in yesterday. Because there's a bit of pressure on him because Lynch had gone off <laughs> injured at half time. They weren't entirely motoring perfectly. Um, but uh, Andreas takes it that he looked fairly sour and his performance was anonymous. Um, what have you made of, of Hegarty, Skell? And um, maybe why is he not firing in the way that he was this time last year? Yeah, like just go back to Cork. Go back to the first league game. Do you remember when he came off? Do you, remember, do you remember the reaction you got from the crowd then? 
Well, we were both we were both trying to work out. I think back then whether he was getting booed or Lynch was getting booed. Either or, it was, it was booze in one direction. I just wonder. I, I like I don't know the fella. Like he's been an absolutely superstar for Limerick over the last couple of years. Is he like? Is this? I don't know. It's hard to ask. Is it getting to him a touch? Do you know what I mean? Is he sick of all the public outcry against him? Do you know what I mean? Is, is there pressure because he's, he's treated as the as the bad boy against every opposition? Like he's he's under scrutiny. He's he's mm. he's the constant topic of discussion amongst opposition fans, whether for any instance, whether big or small. Um, didn't help himself last week when he raced into that tackle. I think Gary Chegarty last year doesn't do that tackle against Watford. I think he knows it's not on not to do it. And um, when he came on yesterday, he was like, to be honest, it was it was a it was a a, a nothing performance. To be honest, they didn't get much out of him at all. Like, and he just his body language doesn't look like the same. He he used to walk around like a strut. Do you remember the way like uh, PJ Lockton used to walk around like you know, nearly shoulder side to side. He was kind of moving a foot left and right when he was walking. That was the way Hegarty was walking forward, full of confidence and, and and buzz. I haven't seen that at all in the last couple of weeks, few weeks even. And I just think he just needs to, I suppose, block out the noise, you know what I mean? Because there's probably going to be plenty of it now around him, whether it be locally or nationally, and just get back to brass tacks. And like there's no better management around him and people around him than what he has around him. So like I think we I think we will definitely see a better Garrett Hegarty in weeks to come. I'd say it was a crushing blow for him not to start yesterday um, on the back of what happened the week previous, which is probably in-house situation for Limerick. But um, they just if Limerick are to go places, as I said, yeah, you need a garage to going well. Just things aren't ticking from at the minute. And sometimes when the light, when the dots don't match up, let's say, it's very hard. The harder you try, the further you go back, or the further you regress, mm. or the further you sink. So I, I just think there'll be a reset to a certain degree this week for a lot of Limerick lads, not just him now, like a lot of Limerick lads, because there's players that are not playing as well as they should, or could, you know, or can, should I say, because we've seen it in the past, but I think across the board, I, I agree with Murph, there'll be a reset button pressed, there'll be discussions in-house, they'll park it, and they'll use that as as fodder for the next couple of weeks because it's going to be... I can, can you picture what Little Limit Trainers will be like over the next fortnight? <laughs> can you picture it? Yeah. Like two yeah. fucking Rottweilers and you put them into a pin hungry. You know, they'll just yeah. go after each other, all of them, and they'll all think themselves. I know we're talking about opposition looking at Limerick, but I guarantee there's lads in Limerick, in that squad, saying, I can get a spot here. There's a spot to come here now. And that's a great position to have a panel when you think right, when everyone thinks there's opportunity. And if there's opportunity like like hope, it just creates a different environment entirely. And I'm telling you, the Limerick lads below will be chomping at the bit Tuesday night. Plenty of people rightly pointing out Limerick are beaten by one point. Uh, there is that risk yeah. of us kind of overanalyzing yeah. the fact that they've lost a single game. Uh, plenty of love coming in for Tom Morrissey's performance as well. Like he, to me, Murphy, he was like a man possessed at times. I know he missed a couple of shots in the second half, but he won so much ball. He wanted to carry the ball forward whenever he got the ball as well. Um, really, really good performance, I thought, from Tom Morrissey. Yeah, and like try and cast your mind back to the last time Tom Morrissey played a bad game. Um, he's one of these players, and some teams just have that type of player that he just turns up the ball in places. He's just out there to work. He's not out there. He's a wing forward who's not out there to necessarily score. He's out there just to get on the ball, to get a few hooks in, get a few blocks. If he's in the best position, he'll take the shot, and he's well capable of scoring. If not, he'll pop the ball off to somebody else. And it's just, I mean, I was watching all through the game yesterday and a few wides he got, you know, unfortunate for him. But he was the fella that was just carrying the battle to clear the whole time. And you think about throughout the whole game, you know, okay, Limerick had a few injuries and different things. The one constant in the game was Tom Horsey, you know. And oftentimes we're sitting here talking about your Keen Lynch's and Kyle Hayes and Garot Hegarty's and well-deserved, you know, they're absolutely incredible players. But in all those games, standing beside him, playing absolutely incredible, is Tom Morrissey, you know. And I think sometimes when we have the conversation here, we talk about underrated hurlers in the country. Our minds can sometimes drift to, you know, your player on the Dublin panel, your Donald Burke or your, your, you know, your Tommy Doyle or someone. But 
for me, like the likes of Tom Morrissey is very underrated. He's just, I just think he's an excellent player. And I think if you're picking, if I was picking a 15, as opposed to picking your all-star 15 or anything, you know, you'd have to nearly find a place for your Tom Morrissey in the team because he provides something that a lot of players just don't provide. Mm. Um, so let's hear from John Kiley then. Uh, this is what he had to say after the game. He confirmed that it was a knee injury for Finn. He'll have to have a scan during the week to confirm how bad it is. Uh, he was hoping that the injury to Keen Lynch's hamstring was on the lighter side and that the break over the next couple of weeks might actually help uh, to get him back fully fit. Uh, but he was asked about the fact that now that 17-game unbeaten run, going back to the semi-final against Kilkenny in 2019, had come to an end. We've only two points and four, I suppose... If you said to me a month ago, would you take two points from four? I'd say, you know, listen, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cry over it. You know, it's not the end of the world. Uh, our accuracy saved us last week. Our accuracy left us down this week. Uh, I think, to be fair, the, both oppositions brought two excellent performances as well. And I think, you know, it shouldn't be necessarily about our performance. It's about the performance of the opposition that we have to take on. And I think Claire tonight brought, a, you know, a really excellent performance. And it was always going to take an incredible effort to, to beat them on the night. And we just fell very narrowly short. To, uh, to, to be fair to you, you're not used to losing games, John. Is this something that you, the three weeks will be welcome to kind of absorb it? Um, you know, listen, it's a, it's a, it's a very uh, downbeat dressing room insider, you know. Uh, it's been a while since we've lost the championship match. Uh, it still tastes the same as it did the last time it's, uh, it's not good and it will take us a few days now to, to digest it and, but listen I, I full faith and uh, in this group and in the way that I know they're going to respond to it you know um, there's an incredible togetherness in the group in, the, in there uh, there's a tremendous bond and honesty within the group and I think when you have that, you know you, could, you know we can depend on them to respond in the right way, in the right manner over the next number of weeks. John Kiley there speaking after the game at the Assembly Media. Uh, we've got Laura O'Shea as well who says, Claire won the game, lads, but all your analysis is on Limerick. I think, look, what happens is we spoke about Claire, I think, Skell, for the first 10, 15 minutes. And then we kind of went, you know what, maybe this is now the All-Ireland Champions have been beaten. Maybe this opens the door for others. Um, I don't think we've had anything negative to say about Claire at all. Like, I think at this stage... Now you look at what McCarthy we talked about him during the league, how much of an addition he is. Like Tony Kelly got him more ball because Limerick didn't man mark him at the weekend. Um, I thought they were overall very positive. David Fitzgerald was uh, huge coming back into the team. I think we saw how much he was missed. Uh, goalkeeping was that bit more solid this week. Rory I don't think there's, there's, there's anything we can really um, take away from Clare from the way that they won. This is about a game that Clare won as much as Limerick been beat. Yeah, like it's, it's double-edged because obviously Limerick, Limerick deserved the conversation because of how long the run has been. Uh, Murphy's delighted too. Like he texts me saying, "Thanks be to God." Both. <laughs> <laughs> that might have happened. That might have happened. <laughs> that might you have might happened you might have tweeted about it more. To that, might, that might have come into my head. And just, I'll, say, I'll say it. And then uh, we're clear. We're brilliant. And like I just looking at clear overall. You can talk about scores, personnel. You know, it's just the energy they showed and the intent. I can't get over it. Like it's hard to. I can't think of a match whereby we saw that level. Sorry, should I say sustained level of energy? And intent for 70 odd minutes. I can't maybe you can think of one that's where a team keeps it going throughout the whole the whole game. Remarkable level of fitness, remarkable level of aggression, uh physicality, all the things you look you look for in a successful team. So like credit to Claire, there's no question about it. Like, like we've 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 given them the credit, you know, um and ultimately they they'll say themselves, it's one game, it's a group game. You know, but it could be the, the booster, the the it could be the catapult for their year, you know, which is which is great for them. But ultimately we're still in the round robin stage. And that's the thing, like they, they provided some marvelous performances last year. 
and then they, they peter out against Kikini. So like they're on, I think they're they're looking at a longer course. They, I think if you look asking Claire what's their what's their ambition, it's our championship champions, that's the size of it. And it's 25 years since they won Monster, if I'm not mistaken. So that's probably a real goal for them. So this is a great stepping stone for them. No, for sure. And as well, coming in again from Andres Corcoran here, um, all the talk about Conlon, Duggan, McCarthy. Yeah, Tony Kelly's performance has gone under the radar. Has it gone under the radar, Paul, the way that he performed? I, I thought he was really good, both creatively, mm. uh, the chances he was making for himself. I wonder at this point, given that he's so effective against Limerick, if Claire and Limerick meet again, will they be tempted to deploy someone on him as opposed to allow him to have the free space? But like I thought whenever Tony Kelly got the ball on Saturday night, he was effective every time he got it. He was, yeah. And, you know, he started really brightly into the game. Um, I think he got the, you know, one of the first, or he got two of the first few scores. Um, he was involved in the game. He drew a few frees. And then, again, coming into the last few minutes, I think he got his last two scores, four points in the night. I think he got his last two scores in maybe the last 10 minutes. Really important time as well. So, no, he was he, he was really influential. But what I think is very positive for Claire in one way, like Tony Kelly can only get better in many ways because we, we've seen what Tony Kelly can do. But if I was a Clare fan, I'd be absolutely delighted that Tony Kelly got four points. Look at where all the rest of the scores came from. Like, there's yeah. where the scores. Shanahan, Tony Kelly, Davy Fitzgerald, McCarthy, Rogers, McInerney, Taylor, Duggan, O'Donnell. Like, th- there was lads all over the pitch playing really well. And I think if I was a Clare fan, I'd be really excited the fact that Tony Kelly was involved in the game. He got his four points. But it's not like everyone's going forward going, oh, well, if he shut down Tony Kelly, that's that's Claire sorted. It's absolutely not Claire sorted, you know? Um, and we spoke last week about Claire trying to create a platform where Tony Kelly can perform. And, you know, maybe a little bit with Tony Kelly was just like every player, even the greatest players of which Tony Kelly is, can just dip out of a little bit of form. And he looks like he's coming back into it. And I think something that Claire will be looking at also now, you know, it's not that Claire are going to go, right, we just need to get out of Munster uh, and, and sort it from there. I think Claire will learn from last year in that, see how influential John Conlon was yesterday. I, I think if John or if, if Claire push on a little bit and they're secure, I do think Brian Lowen looks at potentially going, we might hurl a game here without the likes of John Conlon because you see in the semi-final last year, you wonder what the difference would have been. Okay, it would have been a difference of 14 or so points or 12 points. Probably not. Maybe Claire just had run out of steam. <clears throat> but nevertheless, I do think that they learn from that in that John Conlon's 34 years of age, you know, um, to ask him to go week on week on week for such an influential player, maybe the box a little bit clever. So there's there's a lot of stuff here that Claire can take out of it. But the one thing that, you know, I haven't mentioned yet, which is a compliment to Claire, is their tackling. I know a lot of people are saying that, you know, Limerick got a lot of frees, uh, but to use scales were there of intent, the intent of the Claire players going into the tackle. We're always talking here about Limerick. Lads be giving out about Limerick saying that, you know, their tackling is borderline and the borderline, all this. Any championship winning team plays on the edge, plays on the border. And don't be giving out that your team is getting a few frees against you. Look at what Clare were doing. Their tackling was borderline and that's a compliment to Clare. It's a massive compliment to Clare. There's so many teams in this championship that their tackling isn't borderline in that, not that they're going out to injure players, but they're going out to hit as hard as they can, do it safely, win the ball, you're going to concede a few frees doing it, but if your team is doing that, mentally, they're being very aggressive, they're getting in the face of the other team, and for a lot of teams, it's what they lack, and it's what they'll never have in their locker, but that's what I saw from Clare at the weekend, which I said, that's absolutely brilliant, these boys are playing on the border, and it's a huge compliment to Clare, that's no offensive, that's a compliment to Clare. Yeah. Um, all right. Let us uh, 
tell you about um, our sponsor as well because it's a chance for everyone who's watching at the moment uh, to win what would be a really good competition as well. So as you know, Borgosh Energy are the sponsors of the Hurling Pod. Their motto this summer is Hurling is anyone's game and they're launching a new competition uh, to uncover personal stories from across the country celebrating diversity and inclusion within the game. Each week throughout the championship, listeners of Off the Ball and the Hurling Pod will be invited to share their It's Anyone's Game story via WhatsApp. The competition will run from this weekend through to the 20th of July. Weekly prizes will include match tickets and signed jerseys. Um, who knows? Maybe you can get a signed Joe Canning jersey, uh, given that he's one of the ambassadors. There will be an overall prize as well of a much coveted All-Ireland final ticket. Uh, I wonder whether that was Skell who was laughing when I said that. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, to enter, simply WhatsApp 086-786-9642 by text or voice note. Share your hurling story and why you believe hurling is anyone's game. For the full competition details, please visit borgoshenergy.ie forward slash home forward slash BGEGA. I'll stick it in the uh, description on the YouTube and on the Facebook when we finish the video as well. Um, Skell, are you saying that you wouldn't want to get a signed Joe Canning jersey? I just said no such thing. You're out working with him, I think, this weekend. Who knows, you could get a Garrod Hegarty jersey as well. He's not around. Yeah, we're, on the, we're on the job tomorrow. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and who knows, maybe you and I could scoop some free tickets or some of the viewers or listeners to the pod could get some free tickets for July. I think it's the week before the All-Ireland Final, Murph. You're mm-hmm. bringing people around for the Legends Tour in Crow Park. I am, yeah, yeah. Got the call. Uh, got the call just a few weeks ago there. So yeah, look at it's something I, I I didn't really think about now at all. But um, getting to go up, I think it's the eighth of July um, in Crow Park, and I suppose be part of a tour along with the tour guide and bring people around. And I suppose you'll give your insight from the days you were full of nerves inside in Crow Park or the days you were in a dressing room celebrating. So um, yeah, look, it's it's. I'm actually looking forward to it now because. You know, um, oftentimes you enter into Crow Park, your mind is so zoned into playing a match or whatever it's going to be or how your team is going to get on that maybe you don't take in the, take in the stadium. So, yep, looking forward to it. Should be a good day. All right, we can look forward to that. I'm sure, Skell, we can probably get the day off to go along to that. What did I see there a second ago? You're not allowed to come and heckle me, all right? It's <laughs> not allowed. So River Power, who likes a few comedic <laughs> uh, messages, Skell sleeps with a Joe jersey. That's, I, 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 no, I don't. <laughs> let's, just, let's just make that statement a fact. We don't even have one. From the feet, anyway, too small, too small. <laughs> there you go. Um, let us move then from that game to the other game that was on in Munster this weekend. And Cork, I thought, Paul, very, very comfortable in the second game this afternoon. They win by 27 points to 18 in the end, but playing with the wind, they were 12 points <clears> to two up at one stage, 15-6 up at half time. Waterford never really got going. Said at the outset, it's been 100 championship minutes now since Galway or since uh, Waterford have scored a goal, uh, which has to be a bit of a concern. And I just kind of got the feeling the firepower wasn't there. At no point really did I feel in that second half that Waterford were going to come back. No, um, at no stage did you really see that Waterford were going to have any sort of a kick in them at all. You know, there's so many stats here that really are just, not to say remarkable stats, but it's just so telling in the whole story of the day that. You know, Desi Hutchinson was Watford's only score from play in the first half. Like that's that's if, if you tell anyone that before the game, you know who's going to lose there. Like you can't you can't do that. So many of the issues that I just saw with Watford, you know, they were going forward and there was just a mix up in communications. A player will try to play force the issue in terms of passing the ball through to try and unlock the Cork defence. Wouldn't work out. Cork had turned it over and just used the ball really well up the pitch runners moving all over and then when Cork got the ball even there wasn't huge pressure on them you know you'd see Patrick Horgan drifting you know you'd see Dalton drifting whoever it was going to be 
sweeping around, little look at goals and popping it over. Um, and it was just symptomatic of the day. There were so many things. Um, now, in fairness, you know, Watford had their few chances, few great saves there, a great bit of defending as well. So, But I think a, a bit of that more so was that Cork, knowing they were ahead, maybe taking the foot off the gas a small bit, opening the door for Watford. But just Watford were at sixes and sevens. Again, the likes of Caleb Lyons was getting on ball and trying to drive forward. But as a unit, they didn't really seem to know what they were at. Uh, and with about 15 minutes to go, you nearly just got the feeling that they were just wearing down the clock and they were just playing out the game. There, were, there was nothing you could really take from this. You didn't even learn a lot about Cork here. Like Cork moved well. Um, and it's great to see Robbie O'Flynn coming back in as well, like after the injury. Brilliant to see him come back in. But we didn't learn a whole lot about Cork here. Uh, and the performance we saw from Watford against Limerick kind of leads me to believe it was more the fact they got up for Limerick than it was really a resurgence of Cork into this champion or of Watford into this championship. So um, look, it, it was just it, it was such a dead rubber kind of a match. I mean, it was it was tough enough to watch. I nearly turned over to the Leinster football at one stage. Oof. Whoa, <laughs> that, that game was very competitive. That's one of the things now. Yeah. I knew I'd provoke a reaction there. I know I actually I actually did watch the football back there, but um, no, it was look here. It was it was a tough it was a tough match in Munster. Yeah, I mean, scale. This is the thing. Waterford now have a call it kind of an uphill task earlier. It's a mountain to climb now, having lost the first two games, and we've already spoken about the lack of home advantage for the rest of their fixtures as well. And geez, that was an awful flat performance. It makes me think, though, as, you're, as I'm watching the game, and you could probably say this after 20 minutes. Did they spend three weeks or four weeks looking at Limerick and trying to pump themselves and analyze them to the T and get their own performance and own structure specific to the Limerick game? And I, I came away after half time saying yes, they did because. What we say last week about Waterford, the crowd at the middle, they made it all really tight inside. All their six forwards had tackles made within 21 minutes against Limerick last week. But this week, they opened up the whole thing. And I look at the, at the Waterford puckouts, and I could see five lads across their half-back line and two lads in the full-back line. And they puckered in the middle. The whole middle was open. And how many times did you see Harnedry, Fitzgibbon coming through the middle? Like, I couldn't understand it watching it. Like, they, they have the whole centre of the pitch wide open within 50 square yards because of their own setup. Not because of the opposition, because of their own setup. And it just it, it looked like that they were devoid of tactics. And then leave it there to the energy. There was no less. There was no intent. There was no energy. It was the complete opposite to what they produced last, last week in Slimerick. And like Cork were just like Cork were, I, I I can't tell were they excellent. Like were they mm. were they good? Mm. There was a couple of measurables I'd say. And that one was <clears throat> was obviously when Jamie Barron got through in the first half for a goal chance, he got blocked out. There was nine lads there defending him, which is a great sign. So and Cork seemed to take a bit of pride in their defence today. Like normally you'd see, you'd associate with years previous Cork being nearly two different teams, your defence and then your attack, not really connected. But today they look they look connected. And the same thing when uh, when Desi came in off the right and then ended up in, I think, maybe Binnett. Again, seven or eight lads were there trying to, trying to hound him. There was like, a, uh, I suppose, a pact not to try not concede a goal. And like Cork look, were full value for the win, obviously. But again, as, as Murph said, it's very hard to tell, like to decipher the Cork performance and go, yeah, they're back. Or the, but like, I expected them to win the game. I thought they'd win by a few points. I didn't think they'd win by as much as the margin as they, as they had because we were talked about the youth, we talked about the talent, we talked about the positive management team and the mix of experience and like it was pointing towards you know a victory. So they were valuable for, for obviously, but uh, warning signs in Waterford, it was just like the Clare game last year in QC Park. It was just shambles. Yeah, I think Murph, first half, I'd written down in my notes at halftime, I think it was five from dead balls from Stephen Bennett in the first half and one point mm-hmm. from play from Desi Hutchinson. Now, they improved that a bit in the second half with scores from play and they shared it around a little bit more, but that is a very poor return for 35 <laughs> minutes of Championship Ireland. 
Yeah, yeah, extremely bad poor, or extremely poor. And when you look at the likes of 20 minutes, they only had one point on the board. Um, as you were saying, they were doing one point from play in the first half. I think Downey full back from Cork, I think had two points from play. In the, like, I mean, that in itself. He, he played, Downey played wing back though, essentially, didn't he? He kind of played uh, more than half. Back. Yeah, I suppose he did play up there. But there, I mean, there's so many things. I mean, you look at Watford in the first half and they were, for the puck out at one stage, well, at several <laughs> stages, all the Watford forwards went inside the 21, crowded, and then they were bursting out. And when they were bursting out, it was still a Cork player coming out with the ball with about two, two or three yards space ahead of him. Like, so even this tactic... Sorry? That was against the breeze too. That was against the breeze, you know? So, yeah. like, it was this tactic as if to create the space and we're going to burst onto it. But it was still the Cork lads, you know, that were coming out with the ball. So it was just this kind of thing, like, we have a great plan, but the, the aggression, the intent wasn't there to actually implement whatever plan it was, you know? So, like, I give credit to Cork. Like, Cork can only play what's in front of them. They went out, they racked up a good score. Um, again, good spread of scores around the pitch. And, you know, I look at Fitzgibbon there, he had three points in eight minutes. I mean, in, in the first eight minutes, he had three points and he had 10 possessions. Like, if you look at any match across the championship this weekend, if a player has 20 possessions across the whole game, they're in line for man the match, you know? <laughs> Fitzgibbon had 10 possessions in the first eight minutes. And, like, that's, again, a compliment to him, but... You know, how how can you let a player get get that many possessions in the first eight minutes? So there's loads of things there I think you can pick through that Waterford will just be looking at going, how did this happen? Um, I don't know where Waterford go from here, to be honest, because, uh, like, do, do you focus on the tactics? Do you bring it back to basics and just try and, you know, get them back to hurling the way they can hurl? I don't know. It just seems to be so scattered for them at the moment. And at no stage during the game today were they ever really in it. Yeah. Um, Scale, they've got a little bit of a break now. Waterford ahead of playing against Clare. Very difficult to play against Clare who look in good form on the back of the Limerick game. But this coming weekend, we've got one game in Munster, which is Cork against Tipperary. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I don't know, it's not quite make or break, but whoever wins that game is going to be in an incredibly strong position to qualify afterwards. Do you think Cork can put it up to a tip team who were so impressive against Clare in the first game? I think they can, yeah. That game's at home as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's in Parky Queen. The yeah. first two games are home. That's next week. Um, mm. I think they can. I think they, I, I think they've jogged into the championship at the minute. You know, whereas Watford had to absolutely sprint into the championship last week, and so like, you know, I think they've jogged into it. I think Tip, you know, didn't exactly overexert themselves. They, they put in a good performance in Clare last week, obviously, right? But I don't think they went to the absolute pin of their collar, the absolute pin of their physical capabilities. Um, whereas that, that's what Watford did last week. So, like, this week's coming championship game is going to be very hard to call as Jeez, like, mm. well, Cork have confidence and so have Tip. They're, 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 both, they're both unbeaten, obviously. You know, Tip are coming to town, to say, and a big, expansive field for the way the Tip forwards are moving. That's the big thing for me is, like, Watford were pretty static today. They were very lateral and very linear. There was no kind of cross-change in lads moving left, right, centre, like, as you associate with, with, with teams that are buzzing. Tip are going to cause awful havoc for, and they're going to make the Cork backs make decisions. They're going to kind of act like the way Limerick acted against Cork, if you remember, Darren final a couple of years ago, where they put runners all sides and it just completely fooled the Cork defence that they were at six and sevens. So I think what Tip are going to try to do is create confusion. They're going to try to create you know, misplacement, mismatches, etc. And I'm interested to see how Cork actually adapt towards that because they have a relatively young defence. You know, I wouldn't call it hugely experienced. They're relatively young. You know, and the Cormac is the forward line to have a couple of season heads in them, that's for sure, with, with young compliments. So... That's where the game is won and lost for me. I think the Cork forwards are good enough to take on the, the, the chip backs for sure. I think the Cork midfield is certainly good enough to take on the chip midfield and there's very little to separate the goalies. So it's for me, is how, is it, how can Cork contain the chip forwards? And if they get somehow and get on top of them, that'll be a launching pad or a platform for a victory. But if they don't, 
if they don't get in top of chip and don't manage the space and manage the mims at the same time, they're best. Yeah, a couple people correcting this one, uh, which had come up from Martin Furlong, uh, which is a Lamb once said Waterford were playing pure constipated hurling. That was about Dublin, because uh, we had used to have that in the old intro, which was uh, Eddie Brennan and Gerald Knapp. Now, unless he's comparing that to the way Dublin were playing in that game, but uh, that was definitely uh, said of uh, Dublin at the time. Also, a few people have pointed out just Waterford are on this horrific run. So mm. across all of their teams, from minor 20s through to senior football and hurling, They've not won a game in championships so far this year. So that's a worrying thing when sometimes it feels like one or two teams doing well can actually maybe lift it. Um, Yeah, they're they're just in a slump scale at this stage across all... Great. I think think there's another there's another stat I saw earlier as well. Um, and we can't verify it, but I think 14 round robin games since 2018, and they've 12 defeats. I think yeah. that's uh, you know that's that's and half a one away game in seven. But every no. game they have to win now is technically away with the way mm. that things have fallen here. Um, Murph, on this point, uh, when it comes to Munster, a few people have been kind of sticking the comments up as we went along, uh, saying that now Munster actually feels wide open because Waterford could still take a scalp along the way. Does it feel still feel wide open to you now after Saturday? Because that seemed to be the prevailing feeling. Limerick are beaten. Now other teams could beat them and now it's going to be a right fight to see who finishes in the, the top three. Does it still feel like, does it actually feel like a wide open contest to you now? Um, yeah, it does. It really does feel like a wide open contest because I think it can come down to score difference now. Am I right in saying that that at the end, because we have four teams now on two points except Washford, that is it potential to come down and score difference or is it definitely has to come down and score difference? But depending on the results, obviously enough. But it's wide open. I mean, you're trying to pick your team now. Let's say Washford are looking like they're not going to come out of Munster at the moment. Things can change. And look, Cork turned it around against Watford down in Welsh Park last year, but it's it you know it's not looking good for Watford obviously at the moment. But try and pick the other team. Like oh, it's a tough place now to try and go and pick that team. Look, we have Cork and Tip next week, which will be you know huge game. Uh, will this? It won't decide anything, but it'll be a big marker down as to who the other team, who another team is going to be going through. Um, like I think Tip, Tip will bring a good performance. I think the only thing here is that if Cork turn up a little bit flat for some reason, Cork have a tendency at times to do that. You look back to the league semi-final against Kilkenny and Nolan Park, they were favourites to win it, just never really turned up. Tip won't do that, Tip will turn up. Um, but I do think Cork will turn up and perform really well here. The danger is sometimes is when Cork, like I said, go as favourites, that's when you know they take their foot off the gas and maybe they misjudge a game. But it is wide open. It's absolutely wide open. Um, like I said, trying to pick the, 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 the fourth team at the moment, as we see it now in Munster, I wouldn't I wouldn't put any money on it at the moment and I think teams also as well teams are still developing teams are still coming into their stride in championship there's a long way to go yet and it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant I think the general consensus everybody feels across the board is that like we can't wait for monster matches now at the moment because it's going to be this up and down roller coaster of you know a result here or there is going to be huge so I just it's brilliant and it is absolutely wide open at the moment some crowds to win monster isn't there yeah. Oh, insane! Like yeah. Twenty-nine thousand Cork and Waterford and thirty in Kilkenny. Is that right? Yeah, compared to we'll talk about Kilkenny and Galway, but twelve thousand to be at Nolan Park. Now, I don't know whether part of that is both teams have a fair idea they're going to qualify anyway. Uh, well, in Munster, it's as wide open, but two vociferous crowds at this weekend, uh, both at the Gaelic grounds and Parky Cueve. Um, Skell, just to pick up Adrian McGrath's point here, uh, despite Cork being excellent and hammering Waterford, Waterford had three clear goal chances, a blatant penalty, black card call not given as a free, uh, owns a clear view from 30 yards. Um, this gives me a chance to well, not just give the alternative view on how Cork performed, but also uh, to give you a chance to talk about Collins' double save, which was incredible from both Desi and Bennett when it looked like 
both were really good goal chances and some of them were just blocked them both. Didn't say Bennett. Oh, it hit Didn't the back of Cahill's helmet. Yeah. Ah, um, the, the, the Desi one was right in front of him. Yeah, and it came across. Desi picked it up, shifted it over to Bennett. Bennett shot and hit Cahill's helmet. That right. Ah, okay. Out for mm. 65. But like, like that. And for goal chances, like, okay, teams will cough up goal chances, right? But the, I was, it was like a point I raised earlier on about it was the Bannon goal chance and the day. Like, there was nine lads around them and they snuffed them out. Like, mm. the goal chances didn't go in. Now, I, I, come here. They'll create them. Good teams like at this level will obviously create chances, and if you keep them out, that's a good defense. That's not a bad day's work at all. The, the black card, I'm would that have been the first half? No, when Pendergast wasn't when it? Pendergast was tripped, tripped up. Right, Jack Pendergast got to out and he got tripped up. Yeah, yeah. that was a blatant. That was a, that was a blatant. I couldn't, like, I couldn't that get that. Was inside 21. Yeah. I, I can't remember if it was inside the 21 yeah. or not. It was inside the big D. Okay, that's yeah, 21. So. That's not a penalty, is it? Um, depends how it's defined, isn't it? That's, that's it defines a clear yeah, goal I think I think it's more the fact that there was defenders back there. Yeah. It wouldn't have been a clear goal scoring opportunity either way. But yeah. it was like I mean it was a free all day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. ended up actually being a cock free out, didn't it? Hmm. I think so, yeah. I yeah. Think, yeah. So that was it. That was that was one that was right in front of them. I think they actually put it wide. I think Desi Hutchinson could have put that one wide actually. Yeah. And they just yeah, yeah. But there was there was a few calls in the game where it's just I, I didn't make didn't make any sense. Let's not get started with the refs again, Liz. Come on, like we're not on the park now. There was actually I, I laughed at one stage during the game because Galway fans clearly were were, were giving out. I know we'll get onto Kilkenny and Galway in a minute, mm. but uh, we're giving out. You could hear them. So one they got a free anyway, and this was scale when you text in as well. But a big cheer went up, and I was like, oh yeah, grand. That happens in matches, you know. Teams feel, sports feel that they weren't getting a call. They cheer at the next one. Galway cheer for the next two then. They got three in a row and they were still cheering. It's like, come on now, lads. You can do it for the first one, but you can't do it when you get three. We got one free. <laughs> one free. And we were being... Oh, stop. Look at... Yeah, and then after 24 minutes, you had three free. So like, relax. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to debating Kilkenny against Galway in a moment. But before we go on that one, um, Paul, I come to you and this is Mickey's point. Am I imagining or has there been more feigning of injury by players? Felt it was bad in the Cork Waterford game. There's three or four uh, clips which are doing the rounds at the moment online. Uh, not something you want to see in hurling. Um, what do you think about this? I mean, there's a few a few clips particularly from that game. Yeah, there was a few um, and it was kind of... There, there was a bit of simulation to a degree. I, I'm kind of hesitant in some ways to say because was it Fitzgibbon? I think it was was with Callum Lines and he kind of went down, but it looked like Lines in fairness hit him a knee in the tie, and it kind of more so that Fitzgibbon went down, not that he was throwing himself on the ground because he got up fairly quick afterwards. But there was there was a, there, there was a touch of it all right where it's like a player thought about it for a second even, um, or at least made a little bit more of it than than what it was. But certainly during the game and there is clips going around. Uh, I think, look, call a spade a spade. Players probably know that if they're selling it a little bit more to the referee and the referee goes in and asks the umpire what happened, they have to have a discussion about it. Was there a hand raise? Was there a hurl raise? Regardless if it hurt, you know, there, there certainly is an element of it at the moment, all right, where, where players will do it just to kind of maybe get a yellow, if not a red. But um, I wouldn't. there wasn't too many ones that were completely off the wall, not that I can remember in the Cork Water, but certainly one's up for argument there. And I, I can see lads are arguing about it online as well. Do not think they're easy fools? Do not think refs are kind of easy fools at the minute too? Whether it be even challenges or or, or instances of that, players sell it right, and refs yeah. simply fall. Like the classic case is when a back and forward go colliding, you know, off the ball. Two of them get other characters, but it's always nine times out of ten the back that instigates it. You know, mm. and, and the refs yeah. just seem to 
you know, give her token yellow card and whatever. Uh, and they kind of fall yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. Or the yeah, one where, where there's only one player provoking and they just give two yellow cards just to balance it out. I will give yeah. it to you. And there's one lad no who hasn't done anything. <laughs> I, I hate that. I remember we, we, play, we played a club game before, right? And we were playing a certain team. I won't name them. And we're playing against a friend of mine who's on a Galway squad as well. And I went up to the ref for the game. them. David Lennon, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you dragged that one on me, Will, now in fairness, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> not to try that hard. Rubber we arm. Playing, <laughs> we were playing Mulya in a championship game. And I went up to the referee and I said, listen now, I, won't, I definitely name the ref. I said, Davey is going the first ball he gets, he's going to throw his arms in the air and fall over and go, ah. A bit like the Jackie Terrell one in 2012. Do you remember the final? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I said, Because <laughs> he's fucking diving, right? I clear to God, within two seconds, picks the ball, ah, free in. I mean, I was fucking <laughs> teasing on the goals. I was gone cracked because I had just told him this is going to happen. And he falls yeah, for it. Yeah, he did yeah. that 10 times during the game. I'm not joking. And got free every yeah. fucking time. Yeah. So yeah, frustrating yeah. because he's falling for it. Yeah. He's, yeah. Into, he's into comedy referee. What's this thing that's happened, lads, where lads are uh, thrown off the helmets? This seems to be happening a lot. Lads at the ground. Helmet comes off. You're supposed to stop the game. Yeah, like if there was one. There was one in the Clare one. Yes, in fairness, was it Rory Hayes in the Clare? Adam Hogan. Two of them took off the helmets. And they were like this pint of the helmet, you know. Was it Adam um, Hogan went off? Was was he went off the pitch? In fairness, doing a great block on yeah. Higarty or someone, but then ran back onto the pitch to make sure the play wouldn't go on. He yeah. was in the. He actually nearly slid into the dugout because his momentum carried him over. But then ran back onto the pitch to take off the helmet because he did get a slap, like you know. But yeah. the fact he was off the pitch, the play would have carried on. But he ran back onto the pitch to remonstrate with the referee to say, you know, he can't go on. But uh, I think the only time you can stop the the game, if I'm correct, is. If it's actual head injury, the ref can stop it. If you're down with a, an ankle, yeah, yeah. Rims, it's drive on, get up that. No, no, the other side of it is Tom Morrissey's helmet came off in about the 15 minute yesterday. Tom Morrissey's helmet came off and the referee played it on. Now, he was keeping the momentum going in the game, but if we're talking that the rule is there's a player here with the helmet off, you have to stop it. Tom Morrissey wasn't doing anything, he just ran into a tackle and his helmet is kind of banjoed half the time anyway, flew yeah. off him and the referee played it on. So, look, not to jump into the inconsistencies, but I. I remember just looking at it going, like the ball is around him here at the moment and he has to run, run over and grab his helmet. He's in, he's involved in the play. But anyway, small point. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of people asking about Sean Finn's injury. Again, uh, Kylie said afterwards, needs a scan. It's his knee, so they won't find out until during the week. Um, also coming in from Patrick Hickey, before we move on to Leinster in a moment, um, lads, would you change your top three in Munster now if you're offered a chance to change it? So I think you all agreed it was going to be Limerick or Clare. No, was Cork not second? Do you, were no. you going for tip ahead, Claire? Tip, tip, tip or ahead, Claire? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, do you want to both reassess now at this stage? No, I wouldn't yet. Anyway, um, again, it goes back to like lads last week talking about Waterford, saying Waterford back into it. You're kind of saying I need to see another match before I can decide. Like all the games that happened this weekend, brilliant, but they're all one individual game. And at the end of the day, do I take Tip out? Tip are the only team that played. Their one match went out, and, and one, oh, sorry, Cork as well. But like Tip went out, performed really well against a good Clare team. Do I take Clare out of that, or do I take Tip out of that? No, do I take Cork out of it? I think you just need one or two more games. I think you can't sit here every week and change it just based on one or two results. So mm-hmm. I'd still leave it as it is, but I'm looking at it going, I'd be very surprised if that stayed the same. And I include Limerick in that. If that stayed the same till the end of this Monster Championship, you know, because it's just, it, it is wide open at the moment. And can we just say like there's, there's not there's not a ten a ten percent degree of separation amongst the teams. We're talking oh. a point zero zero five percent. You know, <laughs> it is yeah it's yeah absolutely marginal. Like it's within yeah. a hen's kick. So that's yeah. how that's that's how close it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, 
So, Good farming yeah. analogy there like that. Well, look, yeah. I offered you this chance. Yeah, they shit, they hate the shit everywhere, man. I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> I free range things like and they shit everywhere. Like they're, they're no, they're, and it's why is it always the front door? They have to come to the front door, shit the front door and walk off. Like <laughs> sorry, I don't know why I got put onto that. <laughs> There's already a, a hurling and farming podcast which is available at the moment on Patreon. But uh, Skell, maybe you can uh, revive a different uh, rival um, hurling and farming podcast. Well, in fairness, go on, Skell. I, I find this interesting though. Mm-hmm. I actually like. I did not grow up in a agricultural home at all. I don't think you did mm-hmm. either, Murph. Uh, I, my uncle who was our neighbour they, they, they had a farm so semi. I'm a semi. I'm, I'm halfway in between both. You. You're more so than you more so than me. Like you were. Yeah. What? Is it, you, you were free labour that's what you were I, I, I brought the cows down to be milked when it suited me I wasn't up early in the morning and I just I drift in and out freelance yeah well it's an education for us uh, this weekend <laughs> then uh, you got Cork against Tip Porky Cueve and the other round three game in Munster staggered is Waterford against Clare the weekend afterwards at Semple Stadium uh, brings us around nicely to the two of your teams playing today and Paul Murphy was uh, covering the game on off the ball at Nolan Park and look Shares a spoil, or the spoils even are shared at the end of the game. And Declan McLaughlin, is he your new hero, Skell? That question was asked a bit further up. Uh, comes on and uh, rescues a point for Galway in the end. Is he my new hero? He's one of them, anyways. Like the three, the three sort of that came on the forwards. Like, He's one point. of them, anyway. <laughs> yeah. The three boys, so the three lads that came on. So yeah. Jason Flynn, <laughs> Liam Collins, and Declan McLaughlin. They're the three yeah. boys, three new heroes. Yeah, yeah. Where's Tom Brady gone? See, Tom Brady, when he went to Tampa, he went down in my estimation there. The Gronk is my real hero. Might I say the biggest American of Tom Brady? One on the NFL counter. I'm expecting the Mikey uh, Butler counter to yeah, be up in a few minutes. Ah, uh, shit. Backfired on the air, right? Yeah. yeah, the Gronk. He was some man. Jeez, he was massive. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm. I divulged there. You got um, a bit off point there. I don't know about being your hero, but Declan McLaughlin brass balls on him to go for a score at the end of the game, get a point for his team. I thought for the way that Galway played, particularly in the first half, it was a merited point in the end. What did you make of their performance, Gil? Well, it was an up and down performance, wasn't it? Like when you go, mm-hmm. if I was just to go look at the statistics as it is, right? I'd say you know we we scored uh, one twenty from play, our whole half back line, our midfield, all six forwards, and three of our subs came on and scored. You know, with fourteen mm-hmm. scores, that's nice. That's not that's not a bad issue. And um, despite the best efforts of the referee, <clears throat> ahem, ahem, like we managed to do it on merit, as they say. Um, but like this was, this was, I think it was kind of a fair result because both teams were operating probably at seventy percent of where they think they'd like to be come you know, further down the championship. Like because Kikini, if memory serves me correctly, had three shots within the last seven or eight minutes more to close it out, and mm-hmm. and they missed them like uncharacteristically missed them, and they should have put they should have buried Galway. Like we went six down. And it kind of the game was just going back and forth, and it took two big points from Parik and Dahi to get kind of the, the wheel turning again. And like it was a great introduction from the three lads. Like Jason got a got a point off the back of the goal chance, which we should have hit lower. Uh, I keep saying bounce on the ground. Uh, then Liam came on and got a point, and Declan got got the equaliser. So it's a great impact. Like you're always asking for your subs when you come in to do something, just do something. And if you come on the forwards, you need to contribute to scores, and they did. And there were three absolutely vital scores at a time that they were needed. So, look, I thought from the first half that we'd, we'd kick on because um, I thought our forwards were moving excellently. I thought our movement to the first half, all in the full forward and half forward, was brilliant. And we were linking up fierce well. And then it just flipped. Like, it flipped full circle mm-hmm. where the Kikini forwards in the second half, especially in the middle, where you got Mossy Hyogan, John Donnelly, your, your, uh, your own Cody Shop there as well, and uh, Gary Corcoran. Never didn't hear this man, truthfully speaking, didn't know him until today. 
and they show up in the middle between the 65 and 45 down the middle channel and you're wondering where are we gone and that's because of Kikini's movement and, and link play it's not because there's no marking going on it's just the way they moved and it, so it was a full a full circle if you like um, and so at the end of the day am I happy with the point absolutely I'll take that point and I'll move on nicely um, because we we now have faced in my opinion the two top teams in the group and we've taken away three points so I'll, I'm content with that hmm. Owen Cody Murph very impressive six points in play yeah, really impressive. Um, and his scores, ah, look, they were just individual bits of brilliance, you know, at times. And like I was, I was, I was texting Ian and saying that, you know, Grealish was in on him for the first, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, kind of stuck with him for most of the match, really, but was pulling and dragging a few little digs, you know, all stuff I'd encourage, nothing dirty at all. But then after Owen Cody had three points after about 10 minutes, that kind of stopped happening and he stopped talking to him. But it there was just, there was a few things that, that Cody did that, you know, he's in a small percentage of players that can actually go and do it even when there's a player on him he just whatever way the ball pops up on Cody is adept at changing his hand he can take that ball in his right hand or his left hand not many players can do that and then have the balance just change direction and go and pop your score over but six points from play like any match you play round robin qualifier stage whatever it is if you have any player in your forward squad six five points from play absolutely brilliant and great to do it against a really good defence as well you know not that Owen Cody needs the confidence but you know like when you have Dahi Burke and you know and Garod and these lads going really well around you to to find a space within that defence pop up at six points you know it was great but again it's, he's just adding to his, his reputation at this stage Murph what about the left-handed solo and bit extras Oh, but this is what I'm that, saying. He just goes I've never, either I've never, I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah. Like a yeah, actually yeah. throw the opposite hand. Yeah. Savage. Yeah. Like, ah, it's a different story. Kill. There was a ball, I think, I, I can't remember if he got a score off it in the first half, but himself and Greedy showed out to him, two of them fell and the ball popped up and he, he had the hurl in his right hand for the first part of it, changed it to his left hand when he hit the ground, the ball popped up, got it, up into his feet. I'm fairly sure he got a point off it, but remember everybody around me, Galway, Arkley, Kenny people alike, Everybody just went, oh, Jesus, that was a great bit of skill. And whatever, if even if he scored, that little bit of skill where he hit the deck and he was still looking at the ball into the hand, onto the feet and gone. Yeah. It was just, ah, it's brilliant. Like, you know, it's brilliant to watch. Mm-hmm. So you have asked him, Skell, about the amount of steps that Concanon took, but Concanon was like a man on fire in that first half. Yeah, and he's capable of that, you see. That's the thing, you see. You know, when, he, when he's put into a centralised position where he's fed the ball and kind of given a licence to go himself, like he's well able to do that. At, at times with goal before, he's been limited to like the corner forward position and left goal laterally. Whereas today, he was. It seemed like he was allowed to go wherever he wants. He plays with his club climber daily, and when he plays with them, he can drift into six or eight positions, however, however he feels necessary. And he's unstoppable in club hurling. He'll do what, whether it be high or low, left, right. He's cheek tough, you know. And so he has the capabilities to be to be a, a match influencer. So like today, people in Galway wouldn't be surprised by that because that's what he's capable of. If you just get him in the right position. So now he's turned himself into a premier forward. Not to say he wasn't before, but now he's a real the top level forward producing one five, was it? One yeah, five, yeah. one five, yeah. one five, yeah. all, all from play. And like mm-hmm. we're talking one five, we're not talking about gimme scores. We're talking about scores that he made himself. You know, obviously the goal yeah. was a chance, to take a run, see what happens. But the, the five points yeah. were get in, catch it, shake off lads over the shoulder. You know, so it was just sublime skills. So it was a good, like it felt like a cannon versus Corey today, truthfully. Um, and with Gareth's steps and the goal, I don't know, my television froze that time. It looked like he took two or three. <laughs> and then he went in. So I can't, I don't know what happened. Oh, I, I bet. Um, the thing as well, Skell, like Galway could easily have gone down in the second half when Kilkenny started to wrestle control. There were six points down at a point 
and then yeah. still got themselves back into it. Is that one of the more pleasing things to come out of the game, the fact that Galway didn't die off at that stage? Well, there was no real panic. Like at, at the time, obviously, I was t- the notes I was taking uh, in, in that period of, let's say, 10 or 12 minutes, I was concerned about what I were classed as heedless shooting. Like, we had two, four, seven, eight shots that were just kind of, you know, over the, over the shoulder, on the sideline, let's say, I can think of Kevin Cooney once, Wheelers one, and I was thinking, this is not the way to get ourselves back into the game. But then you contrast that with Dahi Burke, who I thought was immense in the second half. He was just, he epitomised epitomized a captain, coolness, you know, composure, under pressure, and we were still kind of, you know, a few points down. So I, I you look at the likes of Dahi, Cahill, Brian, they brought the game back for Galway. Do you know what I mean? And mixed that with the introduction of subs. So I'm pleased at the way that they didn't, I suppose panic is the word you'd use, they didn't throw it away, they didn't throw in the towel, didn't peter out the game because I suppose an easy thing to do would be just to let the game go, knowing that there's going to be a game that we could qualify pretty easily. But they fought back and they showed pride in the performance not to let it go. And it was a great thing to see the youth have the confidence to take on those shots. Like that Declan McLaughlin shot, there's not many guys who come on for a championship debut and and pin that under the stand last book of the game. You know, they'd look for someone else to do it. So like that's that's a great sign that that Henry's putting and we know that in Galway too, he's putting time into the youth. Like Declan McLaughlin, hand on heart, I didn't know who the kid was until he played for the last year in their championship. Came out of nowhere. And now he's you now he's contributing to a, a senior county setup. So that's great that 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 the management have found him and and have utilized him. So that's 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 a positive going forward because it I won't say we're in a building phase. We're certainly trying to integrate more young players into a team that are, that obviously has experience and to try and push us to the next level. Because right now I don't think we're fully at we're not at Limerick's level to be honest at the moment. And Limerick are still the standard bearers, but we're, we're, we're I think we're heading in the right direction slowly but surely. Murph, let's clear the decks. The Mikey Butler segment we joked about on Twitter earlier, but Mikey Butler's put over a point from. I don't know how far it really was out, but it's 150 yards now at this stage. Uh, the way Easy. it's grown legs as the day has gone on. Yeah. He jumped up and caught balls <laughs> against a very physical Galway forward line during the game. You must be delighted. Your boy put in a big performance this afternoon. Absolutely delighted, yeah. I just thought he was man of the match, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm all looking at scared. Will, will you relax? Look at you. Um, no, look, he, he was. He, he, look, he was just really steady throughout the game, but I was laughing at that stage. I think there's lads, there was lads sending me messages on Twitter and everything at that stage. And once he popped over the point, uh, I think it was the, the last part at about 172 yards, I think it was, when he popped it over. And he, like, you know, off his bad side as well. But then the long ball coming in, there was five or six Galway lads around him. Up he went and caught it. Like, you know, I mean, he's five foot eight. And there's all the average Galway man is six foot five. We know that. We know that. <laughs> Skell is six foot seven, you know, the average height. But um, I know, look, he, he had a solid game. But I was just the laughing lad, at it. The lad text lads, me worse. After, after, that, after that catch, right? I would go, oh God. And then the lad texts me and he goes, oh, yeah, Murphy will be Mikey this. Mikey that. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually ruining him because that's what they, that's what anyone only associates him with now in this pod is just me fecking talking about him but uh, I know he had a good game no, in fairness there was, there was lots of good performances across the board really defensively like obviously Dahi Burke you know great game as well Mannion got a great great score when he needed there was a great battle there like I was saying Hugh Lawler um, and Conor Whelan like you're not going to see uh, more of a physical matchup than them two lads um, great battle then as well look Whelan came off with two points but I don't think Hugh Lawler would be too disappointed with that either Like, but there was great displays all around the pitch in terms of uh, good defensive displays um, you know, Blanchfield then as well at centre back really burst into the game in the second half as well. So there was just there was lots of there was lots of places, pockets of really good hurling, defensive hurling all around the pitch at different stages. But I agree with Skelton as well. Like the game did flip a few times where you know Kilkenny started really well, but then momentum went to Galway for ten or fifteen minutes, and you know Galway went in the happier at half time. Kilkenny came out of the blocks. Then 
But then Galway, like you said, chipped away, stayed at it. So, like, no team will be happy with their 70 minutes. Um, Galway will be happier with the draw, going to the away venue, coming away with the draw. But, like, mm-hmm. I think Kilkenny will go, look at, you know, it's our home venue. Every, Kilkenny and Galway will want to win their home matches. That's the bottom line. So, Kilkenny will be disappointed saying, you know, we had the chance to maybe win the match. But Galway also hit a lot of uncharacteristic wides in the last 10 minutes or so. They, could, they hit three, four, mm-hmm. maybe five wides that they could have won the match, you know. So both teams will go home tonight going, you know, for at one stage you say, look, it's no harm. We're going to meet him potentially in a few weeks again. Who knows? But also at the same time, Jesus, look, we have a lot to work on here. Like, you know, so it's it's kind of, there's a lot of food for thought for both camps after the game. Yeah, I think definitely there's an element of that seeing Crow Park in a few weeks' time is what they both have been feeling coming off the pitch. Obviously, Pora Keller is someone that knows you, Skell, when he says, does Collins Leveller today top his player of the tournament award in the Fedemore Hurling Tournament last year? It's up there, boy. We <laughs> had a tournament of Limerick last year at the start of the year. Um, the fourth, it was ourselves and there was Glen Rovers. There was, Jesus, I think, God, I think Patrick's Well could have been one of them. Hmm. And then another team from Offaly Cool Jerry, maybe. But Liam yeah. was electric that day. Like, I think he was actually marking one of the Downies in the Glen Rovers game and took him for 2-9, something like that. He's just, he's just, he's just very good. And I'm not going to be, look at I know people are saying to me already, you're biased toward Dean Collins. I am not. He's just shit hot. <laughs> and it, but again, look at it. It's good. I, I, I thought he'd be in sooner or less, to be honest. He came on like 66, 67 minutes. The same as the Wexford game. Comes in, makes a good run, uh, gets a point. I think I thought he'd come in maybe on you know, 50, 50, 55, 60 minutes and see what he can do. So look, good for him. He's a good kid uh, working hard. So hopefully he uh, keeps on moving. Hmm. Um, you can be his hype man uh, here's one for you uh, Murph from Enemies OK Feeney does Hugh Lawler now have Connor Whelan's number that's a bold statement lads it is yeah. a bold statement that's why I'm asking it uh, it's not a case of him having his number like Hugh Lawler is an extremely strong defender um, he doesn't lack like, he, he's actually a physical freak really to be honest um, his burst of pace is he won't be beaten for pace um, and like off the mark and everything he's just a great reader of the game it's not a case he has his number like Conor Whelan could have popped up there today with 1-2 doesn't mean Hugh Lawler had a bad game Conor Whelan got two points I think Henry made I, I said it you know speaking off the ball after the game that I think it was a really good move out of Henry it was a brave move out of Henry where he went when taking off Conor Whelan because maybe the game now suits Declan McLaughlin in terms of you know, Conor Whelan's been on the pitch fighting with Huey Lawler for 69 minutes. Let's bring on a fresh pair of legs and maybe this will suit, this tight game will suit Declan McLaughlin. It wasn't a case that Conor Whelan was playing bad, but it is good, I suppose, as a Kilkenny supporter going forward when you play Galway, knowing that Conor Whelan is such a potent forward that, you know, him getting the ball and making it stick is really important for Galway. That we have someone in the calibre of Hugh Lawler that physically, you know, has to be able to match up with him and, and physically he does match up with him. I mean, one, it was great to play defending or there's a great instance of defending in the first half. I think actually Ray Boyne has it up on Twitter where Huey Lawler lost the hurl and he just, good attitude, turned around, tackled, uh, tackled Conor Whelan, ball popped up, he caught it with no hurl and handed it out. And it was just, you know, the crowd applauded it because it was kind of a case, lost it, but then kind of ran straight back and said, you know, I'm going to still try and fight for this ball and it just popped up. But no, look, I, I give credit to Conor Whelan. It's not a case Huey Lawler has his number. I just think the two boys are really well matched up and on any given day, either one of them could get the better of each other. Okay. We're going to chat about Wexford in Dublin because that game is huge this coming weekend. <clears throat> Before that, Skell, I don't know, am I crazy in my belief that 
it seemed wrong that there was no Saturday game last week. We're all getting ready to watch the Sunday game now, which is going to have a lot to fill in uh, with some close football games this afternoon and the amount of hurling we've had, five championship games over the last two days. I can't understand why there was no Saturday game yesterday when two games were behind the paywall. I have no problem with games being on GA Go, by the way. These would have been on Sky Sports in the previous deal. But it was such a missed opportunity when Clare have just put in this remarkable victory against Limerick where those who won't have seen it will have heard the result and went, ooh, Limerick have lost the game. Surely last night was prime territory for the Saturday game and you could have had a deep dive into Limerick against Clare. You could have. Like, and look, for, from my perspective, you know, we, I don't mean this in a bad way. Like, look, us, we, we, we've, we're well capable of using modern technology. We can access GA, GA Go quite easily <clears throat> you know, on, on the move as lessons. But I know a lot of people, even in my area, that don't have access to Diego. So even the platform that's available for them because of the rate, you know, they're 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 elderly legs. So they don't they don't have the facilities or, or, or the the you know the equipment to access this. So I've I have an issue with, with the way the games are, I suppose, structured in in a way, um, timed, you know, shown, etc. Now I, I won't it's hard to make a statement because I'm not I don't know the full facts of how the GEA schedule their games or how they distribute uh, viewing rights. I actually have to I heard today that they give thirty one games to RTE. Is that true? I I don't know. Like so, for me, all games in GA. It's a little bit higher than that, but yeah, like GA Go mm-hmm. have what was Sky Sports old deal plus a few additional games on top of that. Yeah, like for, for I, I understand it's it's financially driven too. That's like I, the GA Go that they need to make a, a few pounds for setting up, you know, the, the the show if you want to call it that. But I just mm-hmm. it's hard for me to base an argument on why we should maintain GA Go throughout when I think just our national game. It's an amateur game, and everyone thinks forgets about that. And then to think about criminal—it's it's a criminal offence, if you ask me—that Limerick and Clare was on television last night. That so many people—I mean, so many people around me who are avid hurl fans didn't get the chance to watch it, um, for one reason or another. So I don't know how they structure the games, which games they pick, etc. But for me, like I just think, as a national broadcaster, RT, they, they have to do better than that. It's, they have to do yeah. better than that. See, I don't have a problem with the games not being on TV necessarily. I know a lot of people thought, geez, it's wrong that Limerick's first two games are behind a paywall. But yeah, yeah, I mean, the highlights for the general viewer on free-to-air, it was a perfect opportunity. What you could do is you set up the first game, which was Monaghan against Derry in the football, have that to open, and then you go, by the way, Clare have just got this remarkable win against Limerick. Let's watch some extended highlights Mm -hmm. of it. It's very difficult to do the weekend justice when there was a few very important games in both codes uh, this weekend. So I'm wondering, was this just a (laughs) one-off? Will we get the Saturday game back? Because that was much trumpeted when it was due to start. Um, but I think it's definitely required, even if it means you're just doing two games. Um, the other games in Leinster, which were played yesterday, um, Antrim put in a huge second-half performance against Wexford. Won the second half by 16 points to 11. Conal Cunning, again, if you're picking him in fancy hurling, was very impressive, finished up with 12 points. But um, Wexford had themselves in a very strong position after Carl Dunbar's goal. Uh, they found themselves up by nine points at halftime, 119 to one goal in 10. Uh, Dara Egan was saying after the game that he said it's a really significant two points for his team, uh, particularly coming the back of the performance against Galway. He said there was real disappointment. He said we were fully aware that the victory was needed in this game. We took the game to them in the opening half, opened up a significant lead. We'd be a little bit disappointed about the second half display and that's something to work on before they go to Crow Park next Saturday evening. Uh, Dublin won against Westmead 223 to 114. Uh, Donald Burke did most of the damage here, 1 9. Uh, Keen Boland also scored one goal and two points. Westmead had a 22 minute spell before halftime where they scored one point, uh, which really killed them when it came to the game. They were right in it up until then. Uh, bad news for them is that Killian Doyle, their captain, is out for the rest of the season. Uh, he's got a leg muscle injury, which is going to keep him out for another two months. Uh, so he's going to miss the rest of their group stage campaign. But the way this sets it up, Paul, for next week is that if third place is on the line in that game at Crow Park, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, like it's 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 a tough one, I suppose. Like in my mind, Dublin playing in Parnell Park would have been maybe a little bit more suited. Um, it's in Crow Park. I don't really know the reason what behind it. I'm, I'm not really sure. Is it a double header um, next Saturday or what the story is? But um, it is. It's important, and you know, it is a big it is a big win for Wexford. I'll, I'll agree with Darry Egan on that. Just to get that traction, and you know, we see how difficult Antrim can be, and even with Wexford's situation at the moment. Um, we're obviously having a poor league and, you know, not getting over the line against Galway as well. You know, there's potential there where they were leaving themselves open for Antrim to come and have a real tilt at them. So, look, we see Antrim had a great second half, um, but obviously Wexford just getting over the line was important for them. Again, you can see the importance of Lee Chin being back there with his eight points. Um, so it, it is important. Just it's steady the ship. It's not a case that they need to come out of this game, you know, bounding with confidence or whatever. It's, it's a steady foot now where they can go and play... Dublin in what will be a neutral ground really as far as I'm concerned um, because you know Wexford have had probably more better days in Dublin the last few years up there so I think Wexford will reassess and go okay you know what this is what it's about round robin game we're playing up in, in, in Crow Park this is a real opportunity for us now to go and claim third spot and that's what Wexford will be thinking but you know Dublin will be looking at this now going you know look, we want to go third. We want to really build. We don't want to be, you know, the bridesmaid in, in, in Leinster. We want to go and get into qualifiers and, you know, hopefully build not just for this year, not to write them off, but even for next year again and with the few players we have coming through. So it certainly is, you'd have to imagine this stage, you know, the big claim for third is going to be this this match next weekend. And hopefully it'll be a good game um, at the moment. Tough one to call. I'm, I'm kind of leaning, leaning towards Wexford, obviously, at this stage. Um you know, they seem to be getting the few lads back from injury. Having Lee Chin back is a big is a big bonus for them as well. And, you know, even the bit of the bit of traction they had against Galway as well. If they can if they can recreate a bit of that, you know, get a few goals, it'll be huge. But it's uh it's it, it's a game that's really in the balance. Um and it'll decide a lot for Leinster as well, I think, uh, the the result of this game. Yeah. Um Skell, what's your feeling ahead of this one? <laughs> Yeah, first of all, as the venue lads, I, I agree. I read more for actually. I think from the way the job at the minute are playing, uh, I, I don't think you want an expansive game, lads. I don't think you want Wexford mm-hmm. to be able to to operate both deep and wide um, with the forwards they have at their disposal. You know, with obviously Rory, Lee Chin, McDonald, etc. Um, I thought that they'd bring it maybe like a Wexford Park last year where they overturned them. That they try and replicate that kind of you know scenario this year. Who knows? I don't know. Is it a scheduling issue? Is it a call from Pro Park? Is it Dublin? Is it me having a clue? But it is what it is. Um, and I think it works actually at a disadvantage to, to Dublin because Wexford have had better days in Pro Park in the last four or five years than Dublin have had um, by far, to be honest. So I, I, I'm tipping the scales towards Wexford. Um, I think it's a do or die game. I think they knew that themselves that probably at the start of the championship that it'll come down to this, that knowing that Gorg and Kinney are probably the premier two teams the minute and it'll come down to this is the third place playoff truth be told um, hard to call I do believe I think Dublin have got off to what you could probably class as a stumbling start you know I, I expect them to get two points in Antrim didn't come out I expect them to, them to blitz West Westmead um, I can't say that they did they won by draw a nice margin in the, in the finish but I thought they'd blitz them at half time and move on didn't say they did so they're kind of stumbling into it Wexford seemed to have you know, fixed it yesterday. I know Antrim won the second half by four or five points yesterday, but at that stage, the game had took, taken a different toll. They were, you know, they were in full control, to be honest. Um, so with that, I will say that Wexford will overturn Dublin by three points. 
All right, that is going to be a huge game at Croke Park on Saturday. It is going to go a long way to determine who's going to be qualifying from the Leinster Championship for the All-Ireland Series. It brings an end to episode 13 of season two of the Hurling Pod with Borgosh Energy, as sponsors of both us at the Hurling Pod, the Hurling Championship and the Legends Tour Series at Croke Park as well. Uh, you can check out the details on this pod uh, to see how you can enter their competition in the coming weeks too uh, with some of those great prizes that are going to be available. We'll be back in our more familiar slot of a Monday evening next week um, because there are fewer games on we're going to return to uh, putting out a podcast in audio form around about 6pm next Monday and the YouTube will follow at around about 10 o'clock on Monday evening but we are open to the idea of doing some more live pods as the championship goes on uh, it would help us out a lot if you would give us a rating and perhaps maybe even give us a review uh, wherever you pick up your podcasts and we'll speak to you again next Monday OTB's The Hurling Pod with Board Gosh Energy Proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship.